are entering the Freedom Hut. The census question looks like it won't be added, but Trump is saying they'll find another way to get the information about who are citizens in this country. Also, the fight over what to do on these ICE raids. Democrats are flipping out, saying this will make communities less safe. Oh, what a shock. They're opposed to law enforcement when it comes to immigration. That plus Ann Coulter will join with the latest on Epstein, the census question, immigration, Trump, and so much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Uh, It's about values that the president does not seem to share, and we... So this morning when he announced his heartless raids on families this coming Sunday, this goes too far uh, because these raids were not what they signed up for with President Trump. And I think their calls to the president made a difference. On Sunday, west of the Mississippi, our people are in church. And as they prepare to go to church, they feel very threatened and scared uh, by these raids. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. We knew this would happen. Here you have Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. Very, very powerful legislator. Some would argue really the most powerful legislator in the country right now. Maybe only Mitch McConnell up there with her. But you have Nancy Pelosi doing what we knew she and the Democrats would. Opposing the enforcement of our immigration laws because it's just so mean. It's just so heartless. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement is a federal agency that acts upon existing statutes. Statutes that say if you are in this country illegally, if you have had your days in court, or if you have refused to show up in court and you are supposed to be deported, you have a deportation order, you go home. You get sent home. That is what the law says. The laws that are created by the very body that Nancy Pelosi sits atop right now over on Capitol Hill. But she and the rest of the Democrats are running around grandstanding, virtue signaling about how horrible it is that a select group of people that were picked and then will be even beyond that looked over by Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers and prioritized that even this list of those are under our law supposed to be deported. They are not deported without Democrats crying about it, saying it's heartless, saying it's awful, undermining our law enforcement efforts. They don't want this to happen. Trump backed off it a couple of weeks ago. When is it obvious what's going on here, folks? They are rooting for illegal immigration. They have no problem with illegal immigration. They do not want there to be punishment for illegal immigrants. They are hoping that illegal immigrants are are able to evade law enforcement. If they were honorable, if the Democrats weren't just a bunch of hypocritical, self-righteous grandstanders, they would say, we want to pass a bill to, to change the law so that you can just come into this country and stay. And if you're already in this country illegally, you get to stay. Now, you might say to me, Buck, 
Buck, that's never going to work because the Republicans won't go along. Okay, but at least the Democrats would be pushing for what they want as a matter of law instead of what they have now, which is, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to change the laws. But what do you mean you're enforcing those laws? What, what do you mean what is said on the page of the law books is to be taken seriously by federal law enforcement? They are undermining the very foundation of our system by doing this. They are undermining our, our rule of law every single day, every time they do this. They never explain why shouldn't someone with a deportation order be deported. They've gone through the system. We have a process. And this is where you start to see the radical Alinskyite side of the Democrats really exposing itself. You had Mayor Pete today also say, we're going to make the prison population half its current size. Folks, this is what we're this is what we're dealing with now with this Democratic Party that Trump is up against. They want to empty out the prisons by half. It's going to be a lot, a lot of bad, bad folks out there. There's, you know, the prisons are not full of half people that didn't do anything wrong. I hate to break it to the Democrats. Uh, you know, open the prisons, half of them out, and then open borders, and everybody who's here gets to stay, and anyone who's here gets to have the taxpayers foot the bill for them, and we're just going to keep spending and spending and spending. Nothing ever changes on that front. I, look, I have told you to celebrate recently. I've said enjoy this country for what it is right now. Enjoy what's going on because it's not going to last. These Democrats are showing us it is not going to last. They are playing with fire, and I'm starting to think that they're not just playing. I'm thinking they're arsonists. Democrats have a disdain for this country. It comes out time and again from their public pronouncements. They want to fundamentally transform and change this country, and a great way to do that is to watch it crumble down, then they get to be the ones who build it back up in their image. I'm starting to think that that's really what the end state is here, folks. That's what they're hoping to accomplish Immigration is just one way that they'll get there. We'll have more on this in a moment. Well, this makes America less safe. Uh, look, I don't think anybody disagrees that there ought to be, uh, you know, law enforcement protecting people from uh, from danger. That's not what this is about. This is targeting people who are caught in a broken system uh, where there should be a pathway to citizenship. And again, in a community like mine, if uh, rumors start going on uh, about raids, let alone if it starts actually happening, uh, it immediately makes the community less safe. Uh, it makes people uh, less likely to participate in the economy, less likely to talk to law enforcement when they need help uh, dealing with uh, something that really is a matter of danger. And it's really designed to strike fear into people at a moment when fear is something we've got way too much of in this country. No one's allowed to be deported anymore, folks. That's what the Democrats really want to say. That's where they are. Maybe if you're an MS-13 gang assassin uh maybe then you get deported but only if you've had a lot of taxpayer funded defense teams and you know uh, uh, you get to have your trial and then an appeal and maybe go in front of an immigration judge separate from your trial and your appeal and you know only when you've absolutely exhausted and this is as an illegal when you've exhausted all of that due process then maybe you get sent home if you've really killed some people and you don't vote democrat you know then you get sent home Short of that, they don't want to send anybody home. And here's why this makes me so mad. Because I was involved, starting last summer, publicly, in the debates about what's going to happen, what is going to be the reality for all of these different illegal aliens crossing into this country and going into the asylum process. 
They kept telling us, the Democrats are saying, just respect the process. Just let them do the process. And we would ask, and you'd ask Democrats, go back. You'll hear them say this on the record, members of Congress. Oh, if they don't get their, if they don't get asylum when they go through that process, we respect the final determination of our immigration courts and they should be sent home. Well, that was while the numbers were getting run up, run up, run up, 130, 140,000 a month, run up, run up, run up, more and more and more. Now that we realize this is really a crisis, we've got too many people coming in, they're saying, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You can't send these people that have had all their due process who came into the country illegally, you can't send them home now. They are, a, they are an absolutely essential part of this country. They're doing the jobs Americans won't do. They're more law-abiding. They're better than Americans. Oh, you mean that we should have seen this coming all along, that it was all a con, that they never intended to be honest about any of this, that they were just hoping that we'd be in the situation we're in right now, which is that effectively Democrats have turned this into a human rights issue where if you're in America, it is your human right to never get sent anywhere else. As long as you vote Democrat. That's where this is now. I mean, Mayor Pete there uh, claiming that law enforcement needs to protect people from danger, but not this. I'm sorry. Is anyone in danger if I don't pay my taxes? Does that endanger? Can they make that argument? Is anyone in danger if I don't pay my taxes? Is it in danger if you don't pay your taxes? The answer, of course, is no. Is anyone even hurt by it? No. You can't make the argument that anyone's really hurt by it. If you refuse to pay your taxes and you refuse a judge's summons to come answer for why you didn't pay your taxes, men with guns are going to come to your home, men and women perhaps, will come to your home and take you, yes, separate you from your family and take you to a cell. And if you say, sorry, I don't want to do that, they're going to forcibly put you on the ground and handcuff you. And if you keep fighting, they're going to keep escalating force. So why is that just? Why should that be the law? If, if laws about immigration are no longer valid, laws about taxes should no longer be valid either. Let's see how long the Dem, Lib, statist, authoritarians can fund their little dream projects when people that are paying way too much in taxes already are like, you know what, I'm just done with this. And then we can all sit around, oh, they're separating my family because I didn't pay my... What, what, what's... What, how, explain to me the difference, someone. Please try. I mean, if they tried, they'd get, they'd get smacked around so they know they won't because there is no difference. They say that, they say that there's fundamentally the problem that we face now is that Democrats do not believe that illegal entry or illegal status in America is a crime. They don't think this should be a crime. They don't think this is a crime. They think they see nothing wrong with it. That's why I keep saying, ask a Democrat, what is the downside of immigration? Not that they stick to these very surface talking points. We believe in border security. We believe in rule of law. We Okay, they'll say that. Those are talking points. What does illegal immigration do that is bad? According to the Democratic Party, and this is now a mantra for all of them, they are, all they do is contribute to the economy, make our community safer, make our, if, and remember, these are not people that have been vetted or been screened, or they just show up. Why have an immigration system at all 
if we are supposed to assume, and we are being told, assume this or else you are racist. Assume this is the case about illegals or else you're a bad person. You are to assume that illegals as a group are more law-abiding, more productive, and better in this country, better contributors to the polity than Americans are, based on nothing based on just what, what the lib media says and what the Democratic Party says. And you might say, Buck, why are they so, why do they adhere to this so much? One, it's a really handy weapon. The illegal immigrant issue is a very handy weapon against the Republican Party. They like to call us racist and xenophobes and anything that allows Democrats in the short term to call Republicans racist is something that Democrats can't help but just immediately latch on to. But we all know here the long-term game. The long-term game is that this is how the Republican Party dies. This is how limited government rule of law, individual rights, constitutional restraint, separation of powers, it all goes away, and we just turn into one of these countries where majority rules, and then majority seizes power, and then power is everything. And, you know, you, you could the Constitution's not going to be worth a whole lot of anything. The reason that all this works is because the people who are here, you, me, my fellow Americans, we believe in this. And we have a culture and we have a history and we have a way that we from California to, to, you know, New York, from Texas up to Minnesota, we have a way that we think about the world, that we think about each other. And that is unique and special to us. And if we just decide that that doesn't matter anymore and just anyone can show up. How can we pretend that there's even an assimilation process at that point? How can you say that there's going to be assimilation? When is, when is the number too high for there to be assimilation? No discussion this whatsoever with Democrats, though. Just, just more pandering, more nonsense from them. Um, and, and just emotionalizing the issue, too. I mean, this, this, all you are going to hear is that this is about separating families. That is the talking about separating families. By the way, a lot of these families were separated by choice by the families by sending kids unaccompanied to the border, handing them over to human trafficking organizations. Oh, Buck, they're so desperate. I- I'm-, I'm sorry. They're not stacking up bodies and they're not digging mass graves in Guatemala right now. Like We, don't, we-, we do have to have some sense of reality here we keep getting told that these people are, are seeking asylum and they're fleeing violence and persecution they just want to be in a better country that doesn't make them bad people but everybody wants to be in a better country who's not in a great country there's not enough great country to go around folks this is you know we're getting to the point where we have to start having these discussions openly you know i mean i i don't I don't want to live in a country where the government doesn't care if you're a citizen or not. But they're just going to say that it's all, it's all about separating families. It's a system that's abusing human rights. This is a, one of the Democrat left-wing superstars, Ayanna Presley, far-left superstars, that is. Here's what she had to say. Play one. It is unfortunate that our country is no longer standing by its promise of being a beacon of hope and haven for those like you seeking asylum. Instead, this administration has criminalized families and is now operating a fundamentally flawed system that is systemically separating families and engaging in human rights abuses on U.S. soil. 
What does that mean? Criminalizing families. What? It's not criminalizing families. Criminalizing illegal entry has been the law of the United, and still is the law. Congress isn't even trying to change that law. It's not criminalizing families. It's just a lie. It's just a lie. But we're not doing enough. We're not. This is what Democrats are always saying. We're not living up to our promise. We're not being the country we say we are and all this stuff. I'm sorry. We take a million legal immigrants in every year. We're going to have a million illegal immigrants in this year. That's a lot of people. At what point do we start to say, well, hold on a second. Can we focus a little more on the people that are already in this country? we got problems we got to fix here. You know, if they're just going to say that it makes it better, and, you know, if you're going to take this, uh, there's some radical libertarians that believe this too, just open borders, just let everybody in. All right, that's an experiment where if you run it and you're wrong, the country is over. Democrats want to run that experiment. They want to run the open borders experiment. They want to run the modern monetary theory. Just inflate the currency and don't worry about it. They want to run that experiment. They really do want to, they, they want to at least risk completely destroying this country. I mean, that is not an exaggeration. Absolutely destroying our economy, destroying our political culture. They are taking steps right now that push us absolutely in that direction. And they're willing to do it. They're willing to roll the dice. The question that a lot of you probably have, or maybe one that I pose to you is, do they know that that's what they're doing and they want to do it anyway? Do they think it's a risk or is that the end goal? To bring about a collapse that they can be in charge of the reordering. I don't know, man. Democrats say some pretty crazy stuff these days. But this is kicking at the load-bearing walls of our civilization, of our country, of America. That's what they are doing right now. Immigration is just the front line of that effort. Who is speaking up on this? Who is making the case? We, we need more voices who understand this and who are eloquent and who are persuasive and who get it. We got more coming up. Stay with me. The Democrats, all they need to do is support border security and the government will be funded. But that, that, that the barrier that we're support, talking about uh, Stephen, is what the, Democrats, the Border Patrol The Democrats wants. support border security. They don't support $5 billion for could you, a wall. Could, could you identify, Will, for me, some of the kinds of border security you're saying the Democrats the Democrats all support? say they support border security. Like, but like what? Where they, they, don't, well, where they disagree respect, with you They voted against case law. They voted against ending sanctuary cities. They voted against supporting MS-13 gang members. They voted against supporting violent criminals. They voted time and time again against a physical border wall to stop illegal entry. I mean, wh- where is the evidence that you keep asserting they're for border security? They haven't been. They oppose closing loophole asylum that the flood our system Stephen, with meritless claims. I, I, I want to move on they to another sensitive ending issue. Catch and release. Yeah, if I were Wolf, I'd want to move on too because he just got buck slapped. Whoop-ah! I guess, well, technically it was Miller slapped, but it's my show, so I'm going to say it was buck slapped. Yeah! Exactly. That was fantastic. Stephen Miller, sounding like Buck Sexton on the radio here. What do I say all the time? They oppose enforcement at every turn, every action, every measure. And then they turn around and say, oh, but we're for border security. No, they're not. They are not for border security. They are absolutely not for border security. How much more clear does it have to be? How much more clear could it be? Find one aspect of the border and and securing the border and then say, do Democrats support this or are they against it? Every time. Every time they're against it. So actions speak louder than words here. Words don't even really matter. 
Actions are all that matters. <sighs> That's very, it's very frustrating. It really is. All right, on, on the census question, I mean, Democrats, are, they're such clowns. They're so disingenuous. The census, uh, and we'll talk to uh, Ann Coulter a little bit more about this later on as well. I want to get Ann's take on it. But the census has been a question that's around, was on the census every year. Uh, you know, it, it, citizenship, rather, was a question on the census every year until, I think, 1950 or so. But now to have a question that was always there and that makes perfect sense to ask, are you a citizen? You know, I have to check this box when I apply for a job. Are you a citizen? Why is it so weird to ask people when you're trying to count who's in the country and what their situation is? Are you a citizen? But Mayor Pete's running around here. You know, Mayor Pete, he disappoints me because he's smarter than this. But he knows that he has to say certain things to get what he wants, to, to advance in this loony left-wing Democratic Party. But here's what uh, Mayor Pete had to say about the census recently. Play five. This is racially and politically motivated manipulation of the census. It makes the whole country worse off. It leads to underrepresentation. It'll lead to an undercount. And in a community like mine, an industrial Midwest city that is finally growing but would not be seen to be growing if you netted out immigration, it threatens our ability to get access to resources. There's a reason why the courts ruled that uh, this is wrong. I'll let other scholars talk about why the president's action may be unconstitutional, uh, but it's very clear that it's wrong. How could it be unconstitutional to ask a question that was on the census every 10 years for almost 200 years? How, how could it be unconstitutional? The government gets to decide what questions to ask on the census. This is a completely relevant, normal question to ask. Unconstitutional? But Democrats just use that word as a, I don't like it and I want to sound smart. Unconstitutional! I do believe Mayor Pete is smarter than this, but he's playing he's playing dumb because he's got to appeal to the dumb left wing base. He's he's manipulating them. And I I find that pretty gross. But that's what that's what he's doing, uh, that it's 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 racially motivated. Why is it racially motivated? We're asking about citizenship. Citizenship is not a racially uh, is not an issue of race at all. There are a lot of citizens in America who are of all different races. Why is citizenship a racially motivated issue? Because there are a lot of illegal aliens who are non-white, Hispanic, or Latino? Okay, well, that's, but that's not all of them. This is a completely universally, universally applicable question. We're just asking about citizenship. We're not asking, are you an illegal alien Mexican? There's not a racial component here. And then to say that it's, uh, it's politically motivated... Well, yeah, the data would show that there are far more illegals in this country that we've been led to believe, and may maybe people should know that. Maybe that's a thing that they should be allowed to know. I mean, Jim Jim Jordan, shirtless Jim. Does anyone else call him? Oh, oh no, it's not shirtless Jim Buck. Wow, hey, hey, Jim. Uh, see his moves on the uh, up on the dance floor. No, no, he's a. Uh, He's jacketless Jim. That's what I was trying to say. Shirtless Jim. Whoa. He's like he's a Chippendales guy. Just got a little bow tie on. Jacketless Jim. Jordan. He, he, he understands what's really going on with the census. Play six. Are we going to see an executive order here? What, what do you predict? I think we will, and I think it's a good move. Uh, look, this is just common sense. We've been asking the census question, the citizenship question on the census 
in one form or another for 200 years. And um, you go talk to anyone on the street and ask them, do you think we should be asking a citizenship question on the, on the census? And every single person you talk to will say, yeah. And then they'll quickly follow that up with a second question. They'll say, aren't we doing that already? And of course, you'd have to say, yes, we've been doing it for 200 years. So this is common sense. Everyone's for it. Everyone understands it's needed, except Democrats in Congress. Yep. Couldn't be more obvious that this is the right thing to do. This is the right question to ask. And yet here we are. And we had uh, we had Trump uh, finally announced that he's not going to include a citizenship question on the 2020 census. And he's going to take an executive action as we go to air here. At least this is the latest an executive action that instructs the Commerce Department to obtain an estimate of U.S. citizenship through other means. Why can we never, ever get this information? Why does it always have to be some, there's some stumbling block. There's some reason why we cannot know how many people have come into America illegally and are living here illegally. It shouldn't be this hard. It should not be this complicated. But there is a, there's a vested interest among the left in preventing us from finding this information out. And also, just like they do constantly with, with their voter suppression, they're always yelling about voter suppression, and then there's like record high voting in the place they're saying, uh, among minorities, where they say there's going to be voter suppression. Uh, they like to pretend that this is a, another, what, what is their favorite allegation against Republicans? Sexism is high, but it's not the high. Their favorite is racism. They love to play the racism card. We'll talk later about how AOC is playing the racism card a little in a subtle fashion, but she's playing it against Nancy Pelosi. You know, old uh, old white lady Pelosi's being a little insensitive to women of color. AOC has been saying so. That's that's interesting. We got that coming up. But also, Tom Steyer wants to give health care to illegals. It means he wants to have the government take money from you and hurt your access to health care over the long run. That's what's going to happen here. We'll get into that in a moment. Yes or no. Would your insurance plan provide coverage for undocumented, undocumented immigrants? And so the short answer is, is going to be yes. Okay. But once again, I want to talk about something broader, which is this. We have a failed immigration system. We should have comprehensive immigration reform, which is a classic thing that this government has been able to, unable to do for decades. So in that context, what are you supposed to do with people who are part of society, live here, mm-hmm. contribute to society, and yet are somehow under the radar, are living in the shadows? Yes, you have, they're a part of society. The good news is that Tom Steyer is a billionaire, which makes me think that anyone can be a billionaire. So we've got that going for us because this guy is deeply unimpressive. So that's the good news. The bad news is that now you've got a billionaire in this race who is not going to be open about this, but just listening to him, it's very clear that he is for effectively uh, open borders, that he believes it certainly believes in amnesty. Absolutely. That's a whole, oh, we're contributing and in the shadow. Okay. So does anyone, is the assumption we make that anyone who comes here illegally or otherwise, anyone who comes here, even if they're illegal, they are contributing and not a net taker. That's the assumption we have to operate under. Well, then, the the way for us to get truly rich, remember, that is the assumption the left operates under. But the way for us to get truly rich is to just take in as many, we should take in 10 
million illiterate, non-English speaking people from cultures that are very dissimilar to ours all over the world. 10 million a year will be the wealthiest country in the history of the universe because they're all they're all it doesn't matter. Or, or does it matter? Other countries have a merit-based system where they try to assess whether someone, because they recognize that some people are wards of the state. Some people are a net drain on the economy. This is just the facts. This is just reality. We can't have that discussion. You're heartless. You're mean. You're bad. I think the Democrats have already lost the election. I think it's because health care for illegals is a deal-breaker. Anybody who has, and my only concern here is that there aren't enough people who have a basic understanding of economics to tackle this one. But anyone who does, and not even economics, just math, healthcare for illegals, we are running out of money right now for Medicare. That's already been talked. With the president, we're running a big deficit, and we have not we have not curbed spending at all on this president. Look, the, the facts are the facts. We're running out of money on Medicare. You're not going to give Medicare to illegals. So then how do you distinguish between somebody who shows up and says, oh, I've been living here for a, a couple of years working in the shadows and I need a I need a, you know, a, a heart surgery and someone who comes from anywhere in the world and just says, OK, I'm here. Give me my heart surgery now. Heart surgery costs a couple hundred thousand dollars, half a million dollars. Depends on the surgery. Does, does anyone Anybody have an answer to this? Is the answer yes? So, so, so we get to pay for the rest of the world's health care that. Because if we open this up, we're seeing this at the southern border. If you show up with a kid, you get to stay. Guess what? Now people from China and Bangladesh and all over the place are showing up here. I got a kid. You got to let me in. Do they really think that if we start giving health care to anyone who's in the country, paid for by the taxpayer, that there won't be people who engage in a kind of benefit tourism, show up in America, get your heart fixed, show up in America, get your hip fixed. Now, this is where the smarmy libs jump in and say, you're so mean. Don't you care about the people? Okay, I'm so mean. I have to pay onerous taxes every year under penalty of being thrown in prison and obey all kinds of stupid laws that libs will defend to the hilt and say, it's the law, it's the law. But other people can just show up here illegally, have a right to a doctor's labor, have a right to taxpayer dollars. And you and I will be told, that's right, American citizens, we're going to be told, yeah, you know that, you've got, uh, you've got that surgery, you're going to have to wait a couple of years for that one. And if, what if I'm in pain? What if, I, what if I die because I'm waiting for the surgery? Oh, there won't, there won't be scarcity? There's not going to be an increased drain on the healthcare system when the entire healthcare system is being paid, or when rather illegal immigrants can rely on the uh, healthcare system to pay entirely for whatever care they get. Does does any serious person really believe that? I already know there are, there are a lot of doctors who won't take Medicaid because Medicaid reimbursement rates aren't high enough. Increasingly, doctors aren't going to take Medicare. Because Medicare reimbursement rates are not going to be high enough. And some doctors also have just left practice because there's so many, there's so much paperwork, so much box checking. I can't tell you. I don't, I don't want to go to the doctor because every time I go, well, first of all, modern medicine, like 50% of the time, completely lets me down, takes my money, and does nothing to help me. But I don't know if any of you have had the same experience. I'm just telling you the experience I've had. 
I'd, I'd say my satisfaction rate going to an MD with a problem is about 50%. And about 50% of the time, they either have no idea what's wrong or they're like, yeah, it's probably going to be that way, maybe forever. You know, here's a bill for $500. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Thanks. That's my experience with modern medicine for the most part. 50% are actually like, yeah, that's a, you know, an ear infection. Here are some drops. But. You know, it, it can be very a very disappointing experience, but you fill out all this paperwork, you have to check all these things, and you, now you do it online, you show up, you got to do it again by hand because they're not sure that they're going to be able to... It's just a nightmare. We do not make this system better because we have decided that this is a right, it is not a service, and that is why our cell phones get smaller, faster, better all the time. Our healthcare gets slower, crappier, more expensive. We never learn the lessons, or at least the libs, the socialists, never Learn the lessons. You think Tom Steyer's going to wait when he when it's time for him to have his angioplasty or whatever? I mean, he's an older guy. You think he's going to wait? Please, he's going to he's going to see the best. Who is the best heart surgeon there possibly is? And he will go to that person, and he will not wait to see that person because he's a billionaire. You, my friends, you have been paying into Medicare your whole lives. Uh, you will wait. You might wait until it's too late. But if you have a problem with that, do you not care about immigrant? Illegal immigrant children? Do you not care about the people who are fleeing poverty? And, you know, the, there also was a difference. The, the people that used to come here and, and flee to this country were, were, were claiming asylum here. They would tell you stories. I've spoken to many, many, many of them over the years. They tell you about how much they love this place, how amazing this is. You know, here's a little experiment. Ask somebody who was a refugee from the Khmer Rouge from Cambodia came to this country, what they think of America. I've had that experience before, and it's, it's humbling to hear how much those legal refugees who told true stories about what they were fleeing, uh, how much they love this place and how much they appreciate it, how much they don't want it to turn into some statist hellhole like these other countries have become. Ask a Cuban who fled Castro's regime, what do you think of America? Do you appreciate this place? What does freedom mean in America? Ask someone from the former Soviet Union. Ask a Pole. Ask a Czech. What do you think of America? And then listen to what you hear from people like Ilhan Omar, who is, not a, is, a, is a legal immigrant and now a member of Congress. Now, America caused the problems. America owes me this. America should probably apologize for all the bad stuff it's done to me. And I'm here now, and now I get my piece of this, whatever that means to me. I wonder. I wonder if those who are coming across our southern border from the so-called northern triangle countries, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, I wonder if they're showing up with nothing but gratitude or as soon as they're exposed to enough MSNBC and community organizers and Democratic Party agitation, they say, yeah, we have nothing to be thankful for from this country. You owed this to us, America. Where's my free health care? When I was in college, I took uh, a terrorism class. Every time the, the, the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like his shoulders yeah. went up and, you know. Yeah, he's in command like, here. Al-Qaeda, you know, hospital. You don't say America with an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England with yeah. an intensity. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't say um, the army with an intensity. Care was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. 
We need to abolish ICE Woo! and end all inhumane deportation and concession programs. We need to fight back against the criminalization of immigrants and those crossing the border. The left has uh, really fallen off the fallen off the map of politics in terms of how far left they've gone, folks. I mean, this is this is stuff that you would not have heard in mainstream political circles even a few years ago. But they have this new hard left vanguard, as I've been calling it. It's not a fringe. It's not like they can be excluded. It's not like they're not important in the media narrative. I mean, think of a member of Congress who's gotten more attention in the last six months than Ocasio-Cortez. I think it's very easy to argue that Ocasio-Cortez has gotten more attention than even Nancy Pelosi, which is really kind of astonishing. But that's where we are. Um, Ilhan Omar, though, has gotten perhaps the second or third most attention among members of Congress, largely because of things she says that make people uncomfortable or that upset people or that are offensive. Uh, And then you always have left say, oh, snowflakes, you get offended by everything. No one says that nothing is offensive. It's just that the left gets over offended or offended by things they should not be. That does not mean there's no such thing as an offensive comment. But the the left, they can't exercise judgment and, and be adults about things. They always have to make just supercilious and bad faith arguments. Uh, Ilhan Omar, uh, here's her talking just just by way of review about her tweet about the Jewish people. Play nine. You wrote, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. You've commented a lot since then, trying to explain what you meant by that. And I wonder just what your message is this morning as the first on our Game Changers series um, to uh, Jewish Americans who find that deeply offensive. Oh, uh, that's a really a regrettable way of, of expressing that. Um, I, I don't know um, how my comments would be offensive to, to Jewish Americans. Doesn't know how her comments would be offensive to Jewish Americans. Okay. There you go. One of the most, by the far left, one of the most beloved members of Congress out there right now. And she doesn't understand why anybody would have a problem with what she says. Huh. Isn't that... Interesting. Pelosi has started to have a problem with this, though. Pelosi has recognized that she doesn't really seem to be in control anymore of her own party. That in the era of social media, what really gets more attention or here's a better way of putting it. What is driving more of the conversation at at home and within the left wing base? Pelosi holding a press conference where. Yeah, she's telling the usual things that she always says. Or AOC going home, you know, cooking some uh, avocado toast. I guess you don't cook that, you prepare it, but you know what I mean. That was supposed to be a millennial joke, but that was weak sauce. Uh, Cooking whatever it is that she cooks and making a live stream video of herself where she says stupid things. We all know what the answer is. It's AOC doing her home video and reaching out to her millions of millions of followers I do find it distressing that so many millions of people want to want to. Well, there are people that want to know what Ocasio-Cortez says because she's dumb. And there are others, though. And I I think the number is probably larger among her followers who believe that she has a lot to offer, that she has insight. There's stuff that she uh, brings to the table that we should all 
want to hear in depth from her about. But Pelosi's had enough of this. I mean, Pelosi is like, look, they we, we got to get people here to stop, uh, stop causing problems and and focus more on the Democrat agenda. And guess what? Turns out that uh, AOC doesn't want to play by Pelosi's rules, doesn't want to sit down and, and listen to her elders on this one. No, no, not at all. In fact, Ocasio-Cortez has, in classic whiny lib millennial fashion, started to complain in public about how she gave me too much work. Play 19. The last time I kind of spoke to her one-on-one was when she asked me to join the select committee on climate change. Um, what did she say? I said no. I think that, that ultimately I'm fine with the decision, especially given the committee assignments that I was ultimately given, which were very intense and very rigorous. I was assigned to two of some of the busiest committees and four subcommittees. So my hands are full. And sometimes I wonder if they're trying to keep me busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so hard to be a member of Congress. and show. I mean, anyone who's spent five minutes covering politics knows that there are a lot of idiots in Congress on, on, on both sides. I mean, the Democrat idiots tend to be, I think, a greater level of shockingly stupid idiot. But but there are dumb there are dumb folks on on all sides. No question about that. And it can't be that hard to be a member of Congress when you see who is in the Congress. So we, we start with we start with that. But obviously, AOC is chafing a little bit under the leadership of the old Democratic Party. Now, keep in mind, that's the leadership that got them. Uh, to very close, very close to Trump. I mean, they obviously lost pretty big in the Electoral College, but won the popular vote. Popular vote doesn't really matter, though, because it's not the race they run. But, you know, they, they turn out votes. Uh, and if they're going to try to win those states, though, for the Electoral College that do matter, what is a what is a more likely formula for success? To have the Ocasio-Cortez abolish ICE, open borders, climate change, Green New Deal, emergency wing of the party, pitching people in Florida, in Ohio, who are persuadable voters, or to have Pelosi and the old school Democrats, you know, do their usual, oh, yeah, no, we're reasonable. We just want a bigger, a bigger, cuddlier welfare state for everyone and the rich people to pay more, which is the the more or less the watered-down, basic pitch of the Democrat Party for a long time now. Oh, with some identity politics and other things thrown in there. But the woke side of the party, the woke left, they are untested at the uh, national level of politics. Remember, Obama, people say, oh, well, look at Obama. He was, uh-uh. Obama ran as a healer and a centrist. It's not what he was, but that's how he ran. He ran as a traditional marriage candidate and he was going to, you know, and, and also Obama was a unique, a very unique situation. He's going to stop the rise of the seas and everything. And people were just completely in love with the whole Obama situation. They didn't think about what he was saying. They just loved that he was saying it. Uh, but AOC went from whining a little bit about her committee assignments and saying that Pelosi is, you know, doing some stuff or may, maybe trying to just keep her running around so she can't cause trouble to just straight up calling out the most powerful Democrat in elected office right now, play 11. It's singling out four individuals. Um, And knowing the media environment that we're operating in, knowing the amount of death threats that we get, knowing the amount of of 
concentration of attention. I think it's just it's it's wor just worth asking why. Do you think she has racial animus? Is she racist? No, no, absolutely not. No, no, oh no, you're not saying that. But singling out four individuals, all women of color, and this has become a thing now. We've started to hear more from some of these women of color about how they think that they're being singled out for reasons that no, they're not going to they're not going to say it's racist. But Ocasio-Cortez has accused Pelosi of repeatedly. This is from the Hill singling out women of color. And it's outright disrespectful. Huh? You see, Pelosi is about to find out that people who use bad faith allegations of racism as a cheap weapon in any debate are really really annoying and aoc is as i've said the uh prince joffrey you have to watch game of thrones just so you get this reference she's the prince joffrey of the democratic party uh, she has far too much power and influence and far too little knowledge and humility and wisdom and this is where the democratic party is going these days you'll, you'll notice who's our up-and-coming right-wing superstar in politics i i think most people would who follow politics would say Dan Crenshaw down in Texas. That's one of the, there's some others you might throw in there too, but Dan Crenshaw, who's a, a, a seal, uh, a decorated seal and, you know, went to Harvard and from everything that I've been told about him is a very good guy and he's trying to serve his country well and, and is trying to be smart and thoughtful, about what he does, their superstar is bratty, ignorant, social media-obsessed Ocasio-Cortez. I think that tells you a lot about where the parties are right now. You know, Increasingly, the young Republican Party feels more like the party of, a, of, of Crenshaw, not that it's necessarily behind him, but that he is... Dan Crenshaw is representative of the young conservative movement in this country now, and AOC is representative of the young left-wing movement in this country right now. And I think that we should all remember that, and, and you should feel even more comfortable about the decisions you've made based on that comparison. They're just people that have it, and she just has it. Yeah, I mean, you could, yeah. you could I was watching that uh, rally, you could see her with a political future, right? See her at the Democratic Convention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, speaker. Yeah. That surprised me, actually. Me neither. Um, and she's also willing, she, she doesn't have that flinchy thing oh, no. when asked if she'll get involved in political causes. Well, you go to Washington, I, I saw her on one of the uh, shows last night. Yeah, absolutely, I'll go to Washington. M MAGA world does not really want to pick a fight with this, with this, with this I woman. I mean, so. the, when she called the shot, people were going, you know, you shouldn't be talking about not going to the White House before you win it all. Well, she put that pressure on herself and then she delivers. I mean, she just stands there and she strokes the ball in. And I mean, that's something. I mean, it's she's a remarkable woman. I mean, she's probably she's the coolest woman in America right now. Oh, Megan Rapino, you make us believe. God bless you. Oh, like the coolest woman in America right now. It's Charlie Sykes from The Bulwark. I, I, I was a radio host. He was a conservative for a long time. Now he's over at MSNBC to say whatever the Democrats want him to say. The coolest woman in America. I don't know. For those of you who listen to the show up in Wisconsin, I don't know how you used to listen to that guy. I'm just going to say it. Had him on the Hill TV once. Ignorant about the border. Doesn't know the laws. Doesn't know the reality. Doesn't know anything. But real smug. Real smug. He, he, I don't know what he's doing at MSNBC. He should go right to CNN where all the most smug ignoramuses 
hang out. That would be a better a better usage of of his time here. The, the, the coldest woman in America. Uh, and who was the other one? Nicole Wallace. There, you know, a former a former Bush person who now uh, goes on MSNBC to trash Trump. And I, I just I can't imagine being in the uh, in the role of turning my back on everyone that I had worked with and on the movement that I had fought for just because I felt like I wasn't sitting at the cool kids lunch table anymore. There's so much of that in conservative media in the era of Trump. And I'll tell you that I think some of the people who are at the cool kids lunch table in the in Trump era, so to speak, some of the some of the individuals that Trump has brought into the administration, some of the people who have a lot of access to the administration are uh, are, are not good. They're not good. Um, that's just true. Um, some of them I know very well, and I can tell you they're not good. And some of them I'm just more aware of their work, and I can tell you they're not good. Uh, that all said, I don't run around doing this thing of you know, oh, because like I, you know, I, I thought I was going to get to work in the West Wing, and I know, so now I'm going to help the Democrats attack the administration. This is what they do. These former conservatives who run around abandoning everything that they've alleged to stand for for the last 20 years. You know, I did see this this piece, uh, what was it, An American Greatness on George Will. Uh, you know, I, I would I would offer you that it's worth checking it out because I'm sure a lot of you are, look, Will is a very talented writer and I, I'm, I, I don't know him, I've never met him. I think he's a, uh, from what I've heard, he's a, he's a gentlemanly fellow, although I don't know if that's true. Uh, but I always appreciate that. I like good manners. I like people who are, who are treat people decently, you know, decently and well. Uh, but, you know, George Will used to be much more. Well, let's just say he he has switched in what he has believed at various times in his career based on his writing. He believes in he used to believe in legislating morality. And now he believes very much in like a more laissez faire approach from the government when it comes to morality. And you can say you evolve and everything else. But what's so interesting about Will in this piece and I'm just basing it off the quotes that I saw. I mean, the argument I found pretty persuasive is that he's always the true conservative. He, he can switch and still be a true conservative. He can change, he can change his position and still be a true conservative. I think there's a lot of that running around in uh, D.C. these days. I think there's a lot of that in, in the Beltway for sure. I would hope, and maybe the... Uh, revisiting of the Kavanaugh story. I think there are some some uh, specifics that we can point to here that might be, but I, I would hope that people who just couldn't stomach in the conservative movement, couldn't stomach uh, voting for Trump the first time around, now realize that we see, when now that we see who the left puts forward, who the Democrats want to have in power in this country, that that's just not a, you cannot vote for these people and call yourself a conservative. You cannot support their agenda and back them rhetorically, politically, financially perhaps, and then say, well, I'm the real conservative. Um, I think we should have the attitude of keeping the door open to anybody who realizes the error of their ways. I'm, but I'm, I'm amazed. I go back and look sometimes at some of the individuals, even people I've had on radio over the years who used to be conservatives. And they have not just turned on Trump, but they have switched to being Democrats. I mean, they will now go on MSNBC to fawn over Rapino, for example, because that's what the cool, woke, left-wing people want. 
So they'll just jump on that whole thing too. No problem with throwing the flag on the ground. No problem with unnecessary cursing at the public. And people say, oh, men curse too. They curse on the field, you jerks. They don't sit at press conferences and drop F-bombs. And if they do, people have a problem with it. All right, the rep- especially representing the national team expectations are different than even in professional sports. But, oh, we're throwing out all the different, throwing out all the expectations that we're allowed to have because the only thing that matters to them is, oh, Rapino is so awesome. Oh, she's so great. And we all have to sit around and talk about how great she is. And if you don't, well, then you're not welcome. And you're not welcome at that cool kids table now. The left wing cool kids table. You're not welcome. You have to say that she's she's fantastic or or else. That's troubling. Yeah, can I give you some good news? The economy's kicking butt. Here's BET founder Robert Johnson just bringing you a little bit of a little bit of cheer. Play twelve. Well, I think the economy is doing absolutely great, and it's particularly reaching into populations that heretofore have had very bad problems in terms of jobs, employment, and the opportunities that come with full employment. So African-American unemployment is at its lowest level, uh, Hispanic unemployment, women. So I give President a lot of credit. Overall, if you look at the U.S. economy and you look at the number of people who are no longer looking for jobs but uh, now sort of seeing the opportunities for job growth, you got to give the president uh, an A-plus for that. A-plus, Robert Johnson says. I agree. Donald Trump was friends with Jeffrey Epstein. The relationship between President Trump and Jeffrey Epstein. Trump and Epstein. Epstein and Trump. Epstein. He's rich and was once well-connected to people like Donald Trump. The sex trafficking case against Jeffrey Epstein and its ties to the Trump administration. Epstein and ties to Trump, huh? That's the that's the headline you get from a lot of these news organizations. We have somebody joining us now who has been covering the Epstein case long before this latest spate of news stories. We got Ann Coulter back with us, folks. That's right, the one and only author of over a dozen best-selling books. Adios America may be my favorite. Also a fan of Demonic, however. See, I, I and I can go back into the archives a bit. Oh, Ann Coulter, I everybody. Love you, Buck. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have to tell you, I have read them all, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the work. So let's, uh, let's hop right into this. And I have some big questions about the Epstein thing. We've been talking about it on the show this week, so people know the basics of, okay, this guy is a, it's, he's a crazy serial pedophile and incredibly rich. Can we just start with, how did this guy make all this money? I've been asking friends of mine in New York, on Wall Street, who work <laughs> at hedge funds, and they keep saying, this doesn't add up. What, what do you think happened here? Oh, thank you, Buck. I think that's the biggest mystery of all. Um, in fact, I, I originally, that was the theme of my column this week. It was just too long, and I really wanted to go after the main villain of the case, Barry Krischer, so I ended up, I'm saving the money part for next week. Though the truth of the matter is, no one knows. And it's interesting, it, the one thing that is known about his billions, Jeffrey Epstein's billions of dollars, is that it does not come from what he claims it comes from. Ooh, is genius investing, and it'll only take clients worth a billion dollars or more. No, somebody is funding this guy. Um, and perhaps, as a little montage you played at the beginning of the show indicates, I've been, I've been screaming from the rooftops, begging the media to cover this case since 2006. 
I feel like I've woken up from I'm 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 or I'm sleeping, and this is a dream where it's every show I turn on, there's his ugly mug. Um, finally, it's being covered, and why is it being covered? For one reason, this insanity. About, ooh, ooh, Donald Trump's best friend Jeffrey Epstein. Okay, it's insane. That's not true, but. Don't tell them. Please don't tell them or this case will disappear and he will get off scot-free once again. Um, I do think getting to the bottom of who is funding him will explain a lot of things, including um, how it is he keeps escaping the noose. This, this arrest this week marks the third attempt to prosecute Jeffrey Epstein for essentially the same cases of child molestation, certainly the same behavior. Um, and every time, somehow, somehow the case falls apart, um, the prosecutor backs down. Well, uh, you know, if they... If Why do you think that is, Anne? I mean, that's where, I, you know, how, how is it? that somebody could do the things that he's done. Usually, you know, for, for just a run-of-the-mill person, one case of sex with a minor, and you're, you're in a, whole, you're in a yeah. whole heap of trouble, like registering, going to prison. You know, life is never going to be the same for you. Dozens and dozens and dozens and trafficking and all this stuff, I mean, and paying and all these enhanced penalties that would be attached to all this. How could anyone have that kind of influence? How, how could Acosta, what did you think of the Acosta press conference yesterday? Mm -hmm. This guy's looking at us like, yeah, well, I did my best. Not good enough, buddy. No, not nearly good enough, though. He isn't half as bad as the original prosecutor. I mean, these are state crimes. God bless the feds for stepping in, both in Florida and now Southern, Districts, uh, Southern District of New York. Let's see if Southern District of, the, of New York does the same thing. They could back away, too. Um, though I, 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 based on the history, um, I do think there's, there's a chance that a year from now no one will remember his name and Peggy Siegel out in Hollywood will be throwing big parties to reintroduce Jeffrey Epstein to society. No, you're totally right. This is not. This is not like other cases. This is not even like other cases involving um, prominent, powerful Democrats. Take you know Harvey Weinstein or or Woody Allen, um, which is why I think it is connected to who is paying him. I, I think I think he get to the bottom of that, and we'll have a much better understanding of what's going on. I mean, the reason Acosta backed down, as he himself described in a Daily Beast article a year or two ago, um, was that his office came under relentless attacks. Um, the, the the defense counsel had they had Jeffrey's law, lawyers and and investigators were turning the 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 assistant U.S. attorney's lives upside down, prying into their personal lives. Um, you know upsetting their families. Yeah, okay, they were doing that to the victims, too. They were doing that to the Palm Beach police, and they didn't back down. The FBI agents didn't back down. So even though what Acosta did does not come close to what Barry Krischer, the, the first prosecutor to get this, who was supposed to prosecute, and by the way, he was totally gung-ho, according to sworn testimony of the chief of police, who was the total hero of this story, um, um, and his garbage was being gone through by Epstein's guys. He and his policemen were being followed by Epstein's guys. They were worried about their families because of Epstein's guys, and yet they didn't back down. But Acosta and his lawyers and their fancy jobs in a U.S. attorney's office, no, they backed down. Um, Do you even think someone it, put the thumb on Acosta, though? Do you think someone told Acosta, you're going to have to back off this? There was that weird question about an intelligence asset or something, and Acosta gave a very strange answer. Possibly, possibly, but 
Um, it wasn't U.S. intelligence. <laughs> right. Um, and as Vicki Ward has pointed out, I think quite ably, um, you know, Epstein gets all of his fancy friends to go around talking about how brilliant he is, and oh my gosh, he's so brilliant, and the math he can... Well, there's no evidence of that to anyone who's ever met him. That is very strange. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. And where do you think this goes? I mean, you've been on this all along. It has been one of these stories where... It, it somehow they managed to convince a lot of people that this was something only conspiracy theorists would talk about. No, there is this billionaire weirdo who's a pedo who's hanging out with the president, uh, former President Clinton, who's hanging out with uh, all kinds of celebrities. I mean, you see the people that, that he's been been palling around with. This is all real. What happens now, though? Do you think we get answers? I, I, I despair of that. I think it's at least possible that Epstein himself will finally see justice and that he will go to jail. I mean, I just don't, I, I'm, uh, you can't put anything past our media, but I can't see how they can be this hepped up on the case. How uh, They can go on and on and on. I mean, he's worse than a Russian spy in their eyes this week, next week, um, all because they can call him <laughs> Donald Trump's BFF. Um, what was with the Palm Beach DA or state attorney, whatever he was? Yeah, state attorney. That's Barry Krischer. He 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 was following the case. Obviously, the Palm Beach police had to keep going to him. He had to oversee the investigation. So Michael Ryder, the chief of police, he's testified under oath um, that I was keeping Krishner updated. We've worked together very happily, have a good relationship. I'm getting subpoenas from him. But I wasn't telling him the name of the person. I was telling him the evidence we were getting. And Krishner was gung-ho saying, this is someone we have got to stop. As soon as he gets the name of who the perp is, he was probably hoping it was Rush Limbaugh again. No, no, no. Finds out that it's big Democratic donor Jeffrey Epstein, and suddenly Michael Ryder, chief of police, testifies. Um, suddenly his attitude totally changed. He would not allow him to issue any more subpoenas. He said, oh, I think this is a bad case. Some of the underage girls, I've gone, I've gone to their MySpace pages, and they mention alcohol. Seriously, that was that was his argument. I can't take this to a to a jury. So so he took a powder by by presenting a case to the grand jury that we will we weren't present for, but but we have reason to believe he may not have done his best work in his presentation to the grand jury because all they returned was an indictment for one count of solicitation of prostitution. Nothing about minors at all. Nothing about Epstein's co-conspirators. It was a total outrage. And by the way, you know. I, th I think Acosta did a bad thing here. Again, not at all compared to Barry Krischer, state attorney, whose job it was and whose police turned over all the evidence we ever needed in this case. But how about the media look at itself? Like I say, I spent 2006, and, and by the way, I did get Bill O'Reilly to do a beautiful segment on it. God bless him. When he was good, he was very, very good. And that segment he did in July 2006, as the story was breaking, um, about this sleazebag Democratic prosecutor, Barry Krischer, who had spent three years harassing Rush Limbaugh for back pain medication, but he's presented overwhelming evidence of this child molester living in Palm Beach, and oh no, we'll just we'll just give you a um, probation. How, what do you think of the Clinton tie in here? Because Clinton apparently has already lied about how many times he hung out with this guy. That seems to have been reported just in the last twenty four hours. Yes, yes. Well, I think. I, I, I mean, I think it goes back to your to your original question, which I think is a big question. 
who's paying Epstein? It certainly seems to be a blackmail extortion operation. Um, Epstein apparently reportedly had cameras all over the Lolita Express, his private 727, um, his various mansions. He had cameras, and the girls have have reported um, that they were asked to service these various powerful men, um, prime ministers, ex-presidents, um, the member of the royal family. After doing so, they were to report back to Jeffrey F. Epstein about what happened. This is collecting information and the cameras. Um, there are a lot of powerful, rich, whether they're celebrities or through power through politics, a lot of people that they've got compromise on. And I just, it's just hard for me to believe that the mysterious, the black hole source of his billions of dollars has nothing to do with um, the fact that this case keeps being keeps being thrown by the prosecutors, and the fact that he was collecting information on powerful people. It, it does seem to be, yeah, I, I believe it's some sort of intelligence operation, um, not an American intelligence operation, but maybe that's the reason we're never going to find out. Guys, we're going to come and do a quick break here. We'll come back with Anne on the border, the census, things that she's going to, I know, have lots of thoughts about. We'll be right back. All right, team, we're back here with uh, Ann Coulter, the one and only author of uh, 13 best-selling books. I, I hope I got the number right. There's so many. Hard to keep track. Most recently, Adios America. Well, at least that's the most recent one that I'm going to reference right now. And we got the, we got the border. We got the border going on. Uh, I've been down there a few times. It's an absolute mess. I've been saying it's a mess for six months. It's the worst it's probably been in my lifetime. This is happening under Trump. Before we get to the census question, and just how can the border be fixed? Can it be fixed? It can be fixed in all the ways Trump promised to fix it when he was running for office. Um, I, just, I feel a little like... Uh, um, Remember George Bush used to say about, you know, how we win the abortion issue and, oh, we have to change people's hearts and minds. Um, well, no, we, for all we know, we've changed the hearts and minds of the vast majority of American people. What we need to do here, see, Mr. President, is overturn Roe v. Wade. And I feel the same way with immigration. Um, most even even in the t in the conservative media most people were not at all woke to the immigration issue um well back before i put out adios america oh my gosh are people woke on this issue now i was just talking to somebody cuz you know um ross perot died this week i love that he's getting some lovely encomiums um and, and my friend happens to have voted for him twice. I said, good for you. He said, yeah, he had some great ideas. He had some dumb ideas, too. That thing about how everybody would have, like, plebiscites on everything. People could just vote in their homes on things. Um, no, I would so love that for should we have a wall. Just yeah, well, I, I think that the popularity of it was... National referendum. Should we deport illegals and build a wall? I mean, I think we had that referendum in the 2000... I, I don't think Republicans have the backbone for, for deportation, and uh, They keep saying that Trump is going to do this thing. I don't, I don't think that we're... I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think but they're even going to start... I mean. The people are there. The people want it. The people keep voting for it. But we, it's like Brexit. We can't get it. It's amazing. Um, by the way, the census question. What is what is I don't think I've actually heard the Ann hot take or seen it anywhere on how liberals are fighting knowing how many illegals are in this country tooth <laughs> and nail. <laughs> so is, I mean, is, is there more to this than that? Or what, what am I missing here? <laughs> no, not, you're absolutely 
right. I also want to mention, because, I, I don't know, maybe this is well known to your listeners. It certainly isn't well known to the viewers of MSNBC and CNN. Everyone's acting like, you know, this is some crazy little scam the Republicans came up with. For people who research genealogy, the census has always asked about citizenship. You can go back to colonial times. They had like three questions. They weren't asking about, um, you know, do you have mold in your bathtub like they do these days? No, that was, that was one of the basic questions, and that was back before we were, we were a massive welfare state. We just wanted to know how many people are citizens here. Um, it was ended in 1950. Of course it should be added back in. Um, you know, they talk about the Russians interfering with elections and, oh, democracy, it's so important. Well, we have all these congressional districts across the country where, you know, you need like three citizens to vote for you to win because your district is determined by how many people are living <laughs> are living there and not how many citizens are living there. So it takes a lot more votes to, to win in a congressional district where it's all citizens living than in congressional districts like Maxine Waters. They're like half illegal aliens. And the administration, did they mess up on this one? Uh, how, how did we get to this point? Because it seems like such an easy, an easy thing to do. Yes, I, I, I have not studied this closely. It kind of looks like the administration did screw this one up. Why don't they just say, we want to know? They don't have to come up with this thing about... What was their voting argument that would like to pursue yeah. the Voting Rights Act? There are a lot of questions ask on the census that don't have any practical application whatsoever immediately. This one actually does, how much federal funding you get, how, how big your congressional district is, that sort of thing. It actually does make important differences in a lot of ways, but um, I don't think it's up for, for, <laughs> for Congress or the Supreme Court to be deciding this. That seems to be... Um, and again, I haven't paid that close attention to it. It looks like they made a bad argument. And by the way, um, contrary to many reports, Justice Roberts didn't say you can't ask this. He said the justification you gave is clearly a lie. We're going to send it back to the district court. So I think they could win in the courts, but why even bother? I like Bill Barr's approach of just saying, yeah, we're going to be including it. <laughs> yeah, I like that approach, too. By the way, Barr's pretty great, isn't he? I'm a fan. I've been very... Oh, my gosh. Isn't it wonderful having someone smart work for Trump? Can you imagine it's, if we had Chris Kobach at Homeland Security? It is, pretty, it is pretty amazing. I mean, to this day, is there a precedent for it? Then it's unprecedented. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to have happened in any press conference. So that's a bar original. And Coulter, everybody, check out uh, Adios America. That's the one we'll talk about immigration or pick up one of her other dozen or so books. And always appreciate you joining us from the left coast. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you. Oh, man, I cannot believe we're in this in this position or even have to have this argument, have this fight. But, you know, Democrats, they're 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 utterly shameless. You know, and anything to prevent people from knowing how many illegals are in this country wouldn't even be a great way of finding out what does real repression look like? What what does it seem like when a when a government ha has crossed that threshold into uh, into tyranny and, and darkness? Uh, People often talk about Venezuela these days, and especially in light of the fondness that much of the American left seems to have for socialism. We look at Venezuela and we say to ourselves, oh, huh, that's what happens when you spend way beyond your means as a country. You create massive social welfare and entitlement programs, 
and you do absolutely uh, nothing to expand your economic base, to expand your, your GDP, and you just hope that everything somehow works out. And then there's more beyond that, too. Price controls under the auspices of social justice. So when all of a sudden you start to have inflation because you've debased your currency, this is what they did in Venezuela, when the inflation kicks in, now prices are going up for items on the store shelves. The government says, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Okay, well, now the businesses can't because they have to pay in Venezuelan bolivars and they have to get food shipped in and goods shipped in from the rest of the world. Now they can't put them on the shelves. And then the government says, oh, they're just being greedy and they won't. You know, this is and this was the, the economic death spiral of Venezuela. But there are economic death spirals and then there are death squads. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about here, a story that I don't think got anywhere near the attention that it should have. Uh, and it should be remembered by all that the Venezuelan regime still has in the West, in America, some people who, if not outright defenders of it, will go to pretty extraordinary lengths in order to uh, blame someone else, blame us usually, for the failures of the Venezuelan regime. Uh, we know that there are lot, there's deprivation, political crackdowns, incredible corruption, terrible violence in the streets. But this story really tells you what's going on in Venezuela and, and what's behind the scenes, what's really happening here. Uh, this was a New York Times story. Actually, it was a Reuters, Reuters story New York Times picked up from a couple days ago. Venezuelan security forces are sending death squads to murder young men and stage the scenes to make it look like the victims resisted. This is a, the United Nations saying this in a report issued by its human rights, uh, human rights chief last week. Government figures show that deaths ascribed to criminals resisting arrest numbered 5,287 last year and 1,569 by May 19th this year. Many of them appear to be extrajudicial executions. This is a reference to Venezuela's uh, Special Action Forces, FAES. These guys arrive dressed like paramilitaries. They're in all all black pickups, no license plates. They have balaclavas on. They're dressed in tactical gear. And they will just go into a house and they separate the men from the women and children. And then they'll just, according to witnesses, go and uh, execute them. Now, and, and then they, they stage the scene and they set it up so that it looks like, oh, this person was... This person was resisting arrest. You know, we, we had to do what we had to do. Let's understand what this does to any political opposition. And when, when people talk about why, given how uh, poorly Venezuela is run, given what has been going on there now for years and the, the real pain that people have been feeling, the loss, the misery, the suffering, uh, why is it that there isn't a more generalized and there have been people in the streets, and there's the Guaido opposition, although you'll note Maduro's still in charge. People are all talking about, oh, Guaido, any day now, any day now. Nope. Thugs are good at, at, at one thing when it comes to governance, and that's rule by force, rule by fear. They know how to do that. Maduro knows how to do that. And this usage of government paramilitary assassination squads is, I, I think, one of the most obvious manifestations of how a government can really uh, a government like this can can oppress people no matter how bad things get 
You know, if they can just show up, they can show up and kill anyone they want to kill right now, and there's really no recourse that anyone has. So if you're living in a country like that, and, and they'll make it look like it was, uh, it was legit. You know, they'll make it look like you were resisting. What can you do about that? Now, the answer is there's, there's very little that can be done about it. Um, but this is, this is a window into how true oppressive and totalitarian states operate. You know, we had all these people after, during and after the 4th of uh, July ceremony here in D.C. with Trump doing a, ha- having a military flyover and then the, the tanks rolling down the streets. You had all that stuff going on. People said, oh, my gosh, it's terrible, and Trump is awful. And they have all this, all this freak out, and people talk about fascism in Tiananmen Square. This is what the early days of fascism looks like. People showing up in paramilitary squads and executing men who might be regime opponents, who might be, in, in one way or another, considered to be a problem. All right, uh, that's, that's one thing that I think people need to really keep in mind here that they, they can get rid of anybody you know anybody they want for whatever reason they want and that really changes things uh so here we go next up is iran for a second my friends i wanted to get to this really quickly because you know we had this british warship that had to chase some iranian uh iranian ships for a moment to get them away from it from a british flagged tanker Look, Iran is going to keep doing things like this in the hopes that they can create a a pressure situation that will result in Europe and the United States separating from each other. Here's some of the the, just the the latest analysis out there uh, by people who have a pretty good, pretty good grasp. here. Ari Fleischer, I think, is good on Iran. Here's what he had to say. Play 17. As we know from Israel, when they raided the Iranian depository, that Iran was lying from the start. Also under that deal, in October of 2020, next year, the arms embargo on Iran will be lifted and Iran's obligation not to provide arms to other nations will also be lifted. Now, Iran is already in violation of that. They're regularly supplying arms to the Houthi rebels in Yemen, as well as to Hezbollah operating out of Syria. So Iran is violating it from the start, but the language of the deal is so bad the world would lift the arms embargo in a mere 15 months. And in 2023, just in four years, Iran will be free to develop all the ballistic missiles it wants. Forget the nuclear side of it. This deal was terrible on the conventional side, not to mention the billions that was paid to Iran, which they used to increase terrorism around the world. Other than calling the rebels in Yemen Houthis, like Houthi and the Blowfish, it's Houthi, uh, pretty pretty good stuff from Ari Fleischer there. And Marco Rubio, I mean, Marco talks a big game on foreign policy. He fancies himself a big foreign policy guy. Here's what he says. Play 18. The deal allowed them to continue. It. They could continue to build these missiles, and they didn't violate the deal. They could continue to pour millions of dollars into Hezbollah and other proxy terrorist organizations, and that wasn't a violation of the deal. They could carry out sanctions evasions on behalf of Syria. The president was right to get us out of the deal. Yep. Wasn't a good deal, folks. But you know who thinks it was? Joe Biden, 16. The historic Iran nuclear deal we negotiated blocked Iran from gaining nuclear weapons with inspectors on the ground, international inspectors confirming that the agreement was being kept. Yet Trump cast it aside, prompting Iran to restart its nuclear program, become more provocative, and raising the risk of another disastrous war in the region. If Tehran 
returns to compliance with the deal, I would rejoin the agreement and work. Of with course, he would. You know why, the- folks? Because Biden has been wrong on every foreign policy issue for the last 40 years. So he he wants to be consistent. He wants to be wrong on this one, too. He, he can't let this opportunity. Biden never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity in foreign policy. That's that's his mantra. Another viral video I want to talk to you about. This one, the audio pretty much tells you what you need. Pretty much gives you everything uh, that is needed to know about this story. But a guy in Long Island at a bagel shop um, was having a bad day. Having a bad day. And it turns out this guy is 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 five feet tall. And he's he's so he's he's on the for a for a man, a full grown man, he's on the shorter side. And he just was in this bagel store and he thinks that some lady behind the counter laughed at him or something, and he proceeded to completely flip out. Here is what uh do we have this what's this guy's name? Uh, Morgan, something more, Chris Morgan. Here's what uh, Chris Morgan of Bayshore in Long Island, uh, here's him having a, a pretty bad day in the bagel store. The audio, we had to bleep out some stuff, but this was all on video, it went viral, play it. You're great women, why is that okay? Why is it okay for women to say, oh, you're five feet on dating sites, you should be dead? That's okay? Who said that to you here? Nobody. Women in general have said it on dating sites. You think I'm making that up? Everywhere I go, I get the same smirk with the biting lip. Shut your mouth. You're not God or my father or my boss. Dude, you want to step outside? You want to step outside? Huh? I'm not standing, pal. You shut up, too. Just like the Go ahead and attack me, big dog. Oh, oh my god. Okay. So I just You can't see exactly what happened there cuz it's a radio show, but this 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 fellow of slight stature, he's pretty much at Frodo Baggins size. Uh he he just he's running around running his mouth and you know, he's you're not god, you're not my father. Uh and a guy who is looking to be more like around 62 or 63 does in fact tackle him to the ground in front of everybody. <laughs> so there is a little bit of a moral of the story here, which is when you happen to be of slight stature, you don't necessarily want to go around saying, I'll take any man in the house. And there are a lot of men in the house who could actually take you. You know what I mean? You, you got you to gotta watch that. Uh, you know, Mark, I don't know about your neighborhood, but in any neighborhood I've ever been in, if you're the smallest guy in the room, you don't want to challenge every guy in the room to a fight for no reason. Yeah, not your smartest idea. Not the smartest, especially on Long Island. But here, here's what. Yeah. Oh, on the Strong Island, man, you got to watch out. Every, every everybody on Strong Island is ready to throw down if you, especially if you make fun of Strong Island. Uh, but look, this guy's having a bad day. One thing I did find kind of noteworthy, and I, some of the ladies might give me a might give me a little bit of a lip over this one, but I will tell you this: for all the 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 cultural hubbub out there about how men are superficial when it comes to women, and you know we care so much we only care about looks and all, all, of all that stuff out there uh women are very comfortable out in the out in the dating world and i, I am a, a man who is unmarried and has been on his fair share of dates in life they're very comfortable being heightists and they will have height requirements and of all the things that you could be 
limiting your dating pool based on height is one of the among the most arbitrary, the most superficial, and also uh, one that a person cannot change or do anything about. Right? I mean, I would argue to you that to have a limit on a person's height is, you know, even more superficial than to have a particular body type in mind. Because, you know, you can all at least change your body type a a little bit here or there. There's some action you can take. By the way, did you see that people were body shaming Jason Momoa, saying he had a dad bod? Do you you know what I'm talking about? This, you know, the guy who plays Aquaman? The photo he's in that people are shaming him on the Internet, I'm like, "I'm, I'm actually, like, never going to a public pool ever again. Like, he's still... Very jacked. I, I think this is a problem that people see all these uh, these superhero movies and stuff. And they see these guys and who are actors who get super jacked for that role. And they don't understand that that's because they're eating chicken breast and working out two hours a day, five or six days a week and eating incredibly clean. And like this, is, their job is to look like that. But they don't look like that as soon as that is no longer their job because it's a lot of work. It's a lifestyle. And unless you're a bodybuilder or something like that, you're not going to maintain that physique indefinitely. It's just not reality, right? So I just think it's kind of funny. People are like, oh, he's got a dad bod. I was like, dad bod? Uh, That's not a dad bod that that guy's got. Um, Our little five-foot-tall friend here, he... He does have a bit of a dad bod. He's a little bit, uh, you know, which is fine. I, I embrace the I embrace the dad bod, uh, but he just should have been a little more aware of that before he decided to pick fights with everybody's much taller than him. But I, I tell you the story, and I know we're having a, we're having a little bit of fun at this individual's expense. But there's a happy ending. See, that's why I'm okay telling you this, because it turns out that according to the New York Post here, uh, he's now become insta famous. And sure enough, the guy who says that women were laughing at him on dating sites and saying he was too short is now getting dates. Quote, my phone is blowing up like the president, Morgan told the New York Post. I haven't even got to my friends. I got girls hitting on me that I don't even know. He says the rant seen around the world has changed his luck with the ladies. Uh... I mean, I got to say, that's a little, I mean, it's a little bit of a, I feel like if you are the guy in the video saying you can't get a date and then you freak out and you get tackled, I wouldn't assume, Mark, that then you'd get dates really easily after that, but apparently you do. There's someone out there for everybody. There is somebody out there for everybody. You know, whenever I start to feel like maybe this dating thing is is too hard and I'm never going to actually settle down, I got to remember that, hey, there are guys who, who are in prison who get married while they're in prison to women they've never met who they're just pen pal friends with. <laughs> so, you know, there's hope for all of us, right? Producer Mark, you're not married, are you? I'm getting married soon. Really? Yes. Look at you. I don't even know. Finding out on the radio. That's cool. When's the, when's the wedding? In November. Look at you. Con- congratulations, sir. That's very exciting. You said that with a little bit of trepidation there, like you don't want to actually congratulate me. No, I just was I was actually just having a sip of coffee as I okay. was saying. You know, you know, older married men all say, Oh, welcome to the club, like they say it as if it's a bad thing. Oh dude, I've never been I know I you are I know you aren't, but still. Yeah, I've never been married. Me and producer Mike, man, we're gonna be they're they're gonna make a reality TV show about us called like That's The right. Bachelors or something. That's exactly. right, man. You That's know. what the Bachelor Radio guys. Yeah, pretty much. You know. I mean we're we're out there we're out there on the scene. DC and NYC, respectively, just trying to live life. And everyone's always like, hey, you know, when, 
when are you going to have kids? I'm like, well, I'd, I'd kind of like to get married first. So <laughs> that's, I, I call me old fashioned, but uh, that's, I'd like to put the, you know, put the cart in the right position with the horse. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. But uh, Mike, did you see this video with the bagel, the bagel rant guy? Yeah, it was amazing. It's amazing, right? <laughs> it's like, how does he, how does he think it's going to end? When he's going around challenging every guy, <laughs> every guy in that store is is, is noticeably bigger than because he's not just five feet tall. He's yeah. five feet tall and like little and pudgy. Yeah, man. Every guy in that store is bigger than him, and he's challenging them all to a fight, one yeah. after another. I wonder if this, you know, they had that small man's disease. You ever have the? We used to have this in high school. One of my little friends who was like, and I'm not a big guy. I'm not. I'm like five nine. That's not tall. But one of my buddies in high school, he was like. Five five. We is you know we always used to break on him here and there, but he had a mouth on him, man. He just thought he was way tougher than he was, and we always said you have little man's disease. Yeah, people always say that. Yeah, they call it a Napoleonic complex. Not true, actually. Napoleon was five seven, which was actually slightly above average height for his time. Yes, so he was not. Yeah, he was not short. So yeah. people who say that. This is like when they talk about burning the ships with Cortez, whatever his name was, who said that earlier this week. Nope, that's not what happened. They scuttled the ships. They sank them. They did not burn them. Ah, that's why Buck is here, folks, to set to set everything right, to set everything straight. We'll be right back. The fight over words. I'm a radio host, so I care about words a lot. We all care about words matters to us. It's how we communicate. The left tries to win debates, often not by convincing you or bettering or besting uh, your arguments, but by forcing you to use certain words. If you use the words they want you to use, you've already conceded so much. That perhaps the rest of the argument, the rest of the debate is moot, does not really matter anymore. And here we have an instance of something like that. An editorial in the New York Times. Call me they. The subhead here is the singular they is inclusive and flexible, and it breaks the stifling prison of gender expectations. Here's what uh, what this guy goes on to write. He is not what you should call me. If we lived in a just, rational, inclusive universe, one in which we are not all so irredeemably obsessed by the particulars of the parts dangling between our fellow humans' legs, nor the ridiculous expectations uh, signified by those parts about how we should act and speak and dress and feel, there would be no requirement for you to have my gender assumed and to and you could just refer to me in the common tongue <sighs> so why does standard english impose a gender requirement on the third person singular and why do elite cultural institutions universities publishers and media's media outlets like the times still encourage all this gendering to get to my particular beef when i refer to an individual whose gender i don't know here in the times why do i usually have to choose either he or she or he or she. Okay, let's play this out for a moment, shall we? This is this is what was uh, it's been coming for a while, folks. Now, now, in order to cater to the trans agenda, we are all to abandon the use of gendered pronouns. That's right. This is this is just, this is published in the New York Times. This is a, a real movement. There is, in fact, a character in the show Billions who is non-binary and gender fluid, uh, uh, you know, trans transgender. And Taylor Mason is the character's name. And Taylor Mason is referred to or, or asks to be referred to as they. 
And everyone in the show just is always referring to Taylor Mason as they. And it's kind of confusing. You're like, wait, what? You know, they did this or, you know, they did that. And you're like, who's they? It is confusing because here's the big problem that they have to get over with this one. They refers to multiple people. So unless we are going to somehow assume that transgendered individuals have a multiple personality disorder and need to be referred to as multiple individuals, you have a singular versus plural conundrum. You have a problem here. And this piece and others like it are out there because they they realize that using Z, X-E, or Zay, or Z-E, and all this stuff, that automatically uh, notes that a person is within the trans community, and so they think that that's, that's not acceptable. They, they want a person, they being plural people in the trans community and the, and the people that are pushing for this idea, uh, they want pronouns to be used where you can't tell. Now, they say, what's the big deal? This is the, the, the argument often with these, these issues, especially on language. They'll say this to me about, about, quote, undocumented immigrants. What's the big deal? Why can't you just say undocumented? Okay, well, I can argue like a third grader, too. What's the big deal? Why can't you just say illegal alien? Oh, because illegal alien sounds bad. Hmm. Maybe because breaking the law is bad. Maybe that's why it sounds bad. Maybe undocumented will sound bad in time if people started to use it all the time because they'd realize, oh, that means illegal. That means breaking the law. But they changed the word because they understand the power of connotation. But this is the argument they then make with they for transgender individuals. That we should all start to use they, not just for transgender individuals, but for everybody. Everybody should just be, there's no more he or she, they, they, plural. They say, what's the big deal? Well, I think the big deal is that language is about communicating ideas and facts and truth and stuff. And gender is still a thing. They can pretend that it's not. They can pretend it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Gender is still worthy of description. Gender is still out there. For all of us to observe and it has effects it has impact on life on everything around us they can try to make us change the words but they can't change the reality and because they can't change the reality i'm just gonna say it right now i'm sorry i'm sticking with he or she because there are still he's and she's in this world and that's how i'm going to refer to them this is gonna get bigger though folks they're gonna push hard on this you watch rock and roll fellow patriots We made ours go up to 11. It's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for roll call time. That's right. You know how we do. You know how we roll. You know how the Facebook gets down, yo. All right, I'll stop. Uh, But no, it's kind of a very dark and rainy day here in dc so i hope wherever you are you can sit back relax and enjoy a warm bath of my radio time um that's a duke silver reference very few of you will probably get that but all righty john shields eye how does one spend a lifetime to become a representative for an american sports team if you hate the country so much 
Saw them throw the flag on the ground. I'm just curious how they can be so angry. Well, John, I, you know, I, I, they, it's it's really un- unfortunately the case that uh, wokeness for for a lot of folks now is not only politically advantageous, but there is an additional layer of the financial advantage of wokeness. As in, if if you are able to promote yourself as somebody who is very social justice aware, then you will make more money. Your career will advance. You'll be somebody who gets commercial benefits as well as political ones. So, I, I mean, I can't answer beyond that why some of the women on the national team decide to act the way they do. I wish they wouldn't, but it's not up to me. And there we have it. Uh, let's see here. Brendan writes, heard the story of Jaylene Hinkle, who plays for North Carolina pro women's soccer team, who chose not to play for the national team because they demanded players wear pride jerseys that went against Christian beliefs. Was going to buy a Hinkle jersey to support her, but looking at the NWSL shops that are filled with pride stuff, there's no way I'll buy anything. How are they going to generate revenue that gets them in the billion dollar range if they insist on agendas of the sport that no one really cares about that much to begin with. Well, you know, Brendan, we got a couple of problems in this new era that we all live in. Uh, one is that we, everyone is a celebrity now. It's just a question of how much of a celebrity everyone's on social media. Everyone's creating their own brands and presenting themselves and signaling to everybody else all the time, what they are. And everything is politicized as well. So we we do not have these personal and individual silos and separations that we used to. It's now just a total free for all with this stuff. Uh, I know it's frustrating. It is frustrating. I wish it was not the case, but it is the case. Um, Jim writes, "Okay, Buck, I understand how kneeling before the flag during a sporting event can be viewed as unpatriotic. And for the most part, I agree. On the other end, athletes who take a knee but still pay reverence to the flag could also be viewed as peacefully protesting the government all while being observant. I just ignore their actions and respect it in my own way, even from home. Shields high. Well, Jim, you're certainly entitled to that that view of it. Uh, I would just say that they recognize the people that do this tend to recognize that take a knee during the anthem, that it is upsetting to other people. They're, They're not doing this in order to just uh, it, they know that the way they get attention for this is because it bothers folks who view it as disrespectful. So they're doing it with the knowledge of it being perceived as disrespectful, whether, you know, we can always argue about acts like this, whether it's disrespectful or not. Wow. It's like a monsoon here in D.C. right now. This is crazy. It's, you know, this is this is where uh, in Karate Kid Part Two, Daniel son has to go and uh break the big beam across the oh no that's not danielson that's mr miyagi has to break the beam that falls across the guy's chest you know i I started just a little i just had an observation on twitter last night and this is it's always the stuff on twitter it's never when i'm going hard against the libs you know whenever i'm just lighting libs up and talking about democrats and policy that's not when all of a sudden i get left-wing blue check pylon it's always you know, I just think that chocolate's a, ba- a better flavor of ice cream than vanilla. People go, oh my gosh, you're so stupid and ugly. Why would you say that about vanilla ice cream when chocolate, it's ridiculous. I'm like, I thought, 
I thought we were in the trust tree. I thought we were in the nest. I, th- I thought I could just share an opinion. So I just, I don't even remember what I was watching, but I was watching something and they had another one of these moments where, and it wasn't, I, I don't need to be, I don't need this to be explained to me. No one had superpowers. Okay. I'm not saying, oh, but you know, Superman can fly and like, you can't really fly. Is this or, you know, not being a moron here. I'm just saying that there's a, a tendency in Hollywood to always, if the guys are fighting, then the girls have to fight too. And girls are often fighting guys who are much larger and stronger than they are and just beating them all up all the time. Now, I understand that all fight scenes are a little bit uh, stylized and all that. You know, there, there's a degree of suspension of disbelief that we accept when we watch things. I just think that watching 110-pound women who don't have superpowers beat up five or six guys in a row who are all like trained thugs and outweigh her two to one, it, it just for me, it's like this is it just gets ridiculous after a while. I mean, these, these are these women couldn't lift lift a 10-pound weight. I mean, they're obviously very beautiful, which is why they're on TV shows or on these different movies. But, you know, it's one thing if you're going to cast Ronda Rousey and she's going to fight some dudes, I'm like, all right, like she looks like she she can can uh, complete that storyline. I mean, she, she looks like she could play that part. But when you have some bikini model who looks like she hasn't had a cheeseburger in quite a while and she's fighting like 10 different dudes, I'm sorry. It's just it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And I, and I, oh, the blue checks. It's the patriarchy. They're all coming after me. And I'm like, why do we, do we really all have to pretend that, that, you know, hundred, hundred pound women are just as capable of fighting as a 180 or 200 pound guy. I mean, is that really the world we have to live? Oh, it is the world we have to live in now. We, we have to suspend all that is obvious in the pursuit of whatever the left says will make people feel equal or more equal. I just, it was ridiculous, man. I had people come after me on this. I'm like, what? I'm sorry. Is that, is that offensive to you? It's, it's offensive to, not to you listening to this, but to people out there that, anyway, I'm not even, I'm not even going to get, it's ridiculous. Everywhere you go now, there are all these, you know, very skinny, very attractive women on TV who are always fighting, you know, always like punching guys and throwing them over their shoulders and all. I'm like, no, no. It's not how it works. Yeah, okay. If it's a Mar- if it's Miss Marvel, if it's a superhero, or if it's somebody who has some, you know, special super CIA training, which let me tell you, that doesn't exist. Uh, but you know, okay, fine. But if it's just someone who's like a detective on the police force, and all of a sudden she's throwing fly kicks, and no, no, I know. I'm a al- maybe I'm alone on this one. I'm a little crazy. I don't. People think that I'm. I'm. People think I'm the weirdo. What did I? I didn't even realize what i'm talking about here um anur writes are you available to chat well anur uh i don't think so jack bad buck news iHeartRadio seems to be fine but i had to google you they haven't updated your podcast since the 27th of june Ugh, man keep doing great work out there as our shields high against the lovecraftian beast that is the left Yo, man, I'm sorry about the podcast situation. I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, we got all these different platforms. I don't know why this is so hard for this to just stay the way it's supposed to be, but I'm trying. I, I, I am on it, and I'm trying. I can tell you that. Uh, Tyler, this Epstein thing goes deeper than you know. Follow the money and CYA shields high. Tyler, I do think this Epstein thing goes, goes very deep. I, I think that this is... 
Uh, this is a story there are a lot of people that don't really want the truth to come out about. Not necessarily who are uh, involved in this, but who didn't do anything to stop it or who, I mean, when I mean involved in it, that didn't necessarily directly do anything for or with Epstein and involving any of these girls. But I, I do think that there are people that turned a blind eye to it, that use their influence to make this thing, uh, you know, go away, legally speaking, for, for Epstein as quickly as possible. So I think that's true. I think that's the real direction all this is heading, and we'll see if they're able to shut it down then. Uh, Stephanie writes, if they want to attack AC, how about they turn their AC off in their car all day? See how they feel then. I'm sorry, no, I love my AC. Well, Stephanie, you have the right attitude about air conditioning, darn it. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, here we go. Next up here. Todd writes, Buck, you're seriously one hard host to track down. Couldn't find your producer's contact info. As I, I thought I'd take a shot here. I'll be brief given the forum. Cops often don't have what they need to keep themselves safe. Four deployed troops often don't have what they need to do their jobs. That's where this American comes in. He's got organizations, cops direct, troops direct. Uh, all right. I've seen you step up for American heroes in the past. I hope this guy qualifies best, Todd. Well, Todd, you got through to me and you got through on the air, too. I will look at this organization and see if it is something that we can help out with or get involved with. So thank you. Uh, Michael Ritzbuck, love the show. Only concern is that you, like all others, continue to call Democrats crazy, de delusional and idiots. This description may be accurate for your everyday live walk in the street, but the top Dems running the party and the media aren't crazy. They're just bad people. They know exactly what they're doing and calling them crazy may give them an excuse to fall back on. Shields high. Uh, Michael, I got to tell you, I, I think that some of the people that are very seen in the Democratic Party, I think they're true believers, my friend. I don't think that it's all just an act. I don't think they're clever enough or Machiavellian enough for it to just be something that they put on. I, I, I do believe that there's more to it than that. But you could be right. We'll see. Team, that's going to be it. Thank you so much for joining me here. Appreciate it. As always, I will talk to you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Tell somebody about the podcast, please. Let's get those podcast numbers going high for the month. Shields high.